All right, if you'll stand with me as we open God's Word to Psalm 76 this morning. Pastor Chris preaches on God and His wrath. Again, we will be reading Psalm 76. You can find it in a pew Bible starting on page 333. In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. In Salem also is his tabernacle, and his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield, and the sword of battle. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. The stout-hearted were plundered. They have sunk into their sleep, and none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse were cast into a dead sleep. You yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath you shall gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. He shall cut off the spirit of princes. He is awesome to the kings of the earth. Let's pray. God in heaven, how amazing, how wonderful and powerful you are. Lord, we just pray that through your word this morning, as Chris brings it, God, that our hearts would be opened, that our hearts would be, uh, Lord, just remade to understand all that you are. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you can look at the, uh, if you want to follow along your outline in your bulletin, the sermon today is singing the praises of God's wrath. Let's all sing the praises of God's wrath. Now that just kind of sounds crazy, doesn't it? It certainly is not politically correct, and it somewhat even sounds like it may not be theologically correct. But if you've joined with our church this summer in reading through the Psalms, then you've already encountered many times when the Psalms, especially David, the man after God's own heart, is singing the praises of God's wrath. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, I'm like, what's up with that? And it's not just singing the praises of God's wrath. If you follow closely, they're even praying for God's wrath to be poured out on sinners. Now, here's just a sample of some of the ways David and others praised and prayed for the pouring out of God's wrath on the wicked. We've already read some of these if you've been reading with us. Psalm 10, 15, break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Psalm 58, break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Break out the fangs of the young lions. Let them be like a snail which melts away as it goes. You know, you ever poured salt on snails? And then it says, like a stillborn child, that they may never see the sun. It goes on in Psalm 58, the righteous shall rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. That's in the Bible. They're singing it. Pour out, Psalm 69, pour out your indignation upon them and let your wrathful anger take hold of them. Add iniquity to their iniquity. And let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. Now, 
Now, here's what you've got to keep in mind as you read through those kind of passages, and there's many, many more. Not, not, a, not a whole lot, but enough to grab your attention. Here's what you've got to understand. These are not just the prayers of one individual who had a really bad day and got really angry. These are actual songs for the whole congregation of Israel that they might sing together as they come to the temple to worship, just as we have gathered to worship this morning. They might be a special solo song before the gathered congregation. Now step back and bring that into our day. Can you imagine our wonderful praise team, which we have outstanding praise team. Todd does a great job, great individuals. They do a great job. Can you imagine? They do do a great job, right? Amen, amen. Can you imagine them getting up here and leading us in a rousing course like this? Break their arms, crush their heads, wipe them out, oh God. Wipe them out, oh God. Wipe them out, oh God. Repeat ten times because it's a chorus. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Go low, go high, wipe them out. Or can you imagine Terry getting up here and, and uh, uh, doing a solo, a special song whose main message is Psalm 76, 10, verse 10. Look at verse 10 in your Bibles. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath, you shall clothe yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but it doesn't quite communicate the warm fuzzies we've come to expect from praise music, does it? Let's face it, singing about God's wrath is not that popular, and it's, and it's, but it's done repeatedly in the hymn book of the Bible, the Psalms. So I thought that since many of us are reading through the Psalms this summer and coming across these praises of God's wrath, it might be good to look at one this morning. So I've chosen Psalm 76 that Kirk has read for us. Here we have a song that is praising the pouring out of God's wrath on his enemies. And this morning, this psalm is going to help us to answer four questions. What should we do with God's wrath? I mean, it's there. What do we do with it? Why should we sing the praises of God's wrath? When should we sing it? And how do we respond this morning? So let's dive in and look at these four questions. The first of these is this. What should we do with God's wrath? First, we have to answer this question. Now, some say to deny God's wrath. Some say, here's what you do with it, you deny it. There are those who simply deny what the Bible says about God's wrath. They deny what the Bible clearly teaches regarding judgment on those who reject Jesus as Lord. They deny the clear teaching about eternal suffering in a place called the lake of fire. Far from singing, the praises of God's wrath, they simply deny that it even exists, or at least it won't exist for all of eternity. Now let me give you an example of this. Author and former pastor Rob Bell, in his book Love Wins, uh, teaches that in the end, God's love wins out over God's wrath, and everyone will be saved in the end. In other words, God's wrath is so bad that even God will end up denying it in order to save all people. Now, that is a wonderful thought. And it's a great thought. It's a comforting thought. But it's simply not true. And to say that it's true, you have to deny what the Bible teaches about God and His wrath. It makes you wonder, what 
does Rob Bell think when he reads David singing the praises of God's wrath? Now, obviously, denying God's wrath is not an option for anyone who holds the Bible as their final authority. If you take God's, uh, this Bible, the scriptures that you have, whether it's in an iPad or, or digitally or written, if you take it as being God's word, we simply don't have that option. After all, it's, it's all throughout the Bible as we're going to see. In fact, Bell lost his job as pastor over writing that book. So rather than denying truth, others prefer to replace it. Rather, what do you do with God's wrath? They would say, well, don't deny it. They would just say, replace God's wrath with God's love. Now, this is becoming an increasingly popular option when dealing with the subject of God's wrath. This replacement process takes place in a couple of ways. And, 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 and you may find, you and I may find ourselves doing this. Sometimes we replace God's wrath with God's love because we think God's wrath was for the Old Testament and God's love is for the New Testament. So we don't deny God's wrath. We just say that was for those guys in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a God of wrath and condemnation. But the New Testament is Jesus, a God of love and compassion. Now, this is a very popular mistaken notion. And if you find yourself thinking that way, and I, it is easy to do that, then let me challenge you to spend more time reading both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Why do I say that? Because if you would just begin in the first book of the Bible, you can't help but come to chapter 3, three chapters in, and you find the God of the Old Testament a God of mercy and compassion. When Adam and Eve sin, what does he do? Yes, as we'll see in a moment, he judges. There's curses, there's consequences, there's wrath. But he cries out, Adam, Adam, where are you? That's not a God of wrath. That's a God of forgiveness. And then read the New Testament. And you can't help but read the first four books of the New Testament, and they're called the Gospels, the Good News. And yet, ironically, in the Good News, Jesus himself spoke of hell more than he did heaven. So this notion that the God of the Old Testament is all wrath and not love is dispelled, and this, God, this notion that Jesus and the God of the New Testament is all love and no wrath, I mean... Just read his disciples, John, Peter, Paul, write of eternal wrath with fearful and powerful language. The same Jesus who spoke of hell more than heaven is the same Jesus in the book of Revelation who will come in a blood-soaked robe to execute God's wrath on the earth. So we simply cannot replace it. Now, a second way we replace God's wrath with God's love is by leaving God's wrath out of our sharing of the gospel to make it more appealing to the unsaved and the unchurched. The world doesn't mind a loving Jesus. Have you figured this out? The world doesn't mind a loving Jesus, a nice teacher. Uh, it set him on the shelf there with Buddha and Muhammad and, and any other good, uh, religious, nice religious guy, and people are fine with that. The only problem is... Jesus isn't that way. In other words, people, they can accept a Jesus who accepts everyone and allows people to remain in their sin. They're okay with that. But that's not the Jesus who walked this earth. That's not the Jesus whose words are recorded in the Bible. The Jesus of the Bible did not replace wrath with love to reach people. 
Jesus was full of grace and what? Truth. The Jesus of the gospel spoke more about hell, as I've already said, than heaven. Just think about the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus extended tremendous forgiveness, compassion, and love. But what else did he say? Go and sin no more. Why? Because there is consequences. There is wrath. There is judgment. There is forgiveness. There is love. We can't replace it. Now, far from singing the praises of God's wrath, some denominations are replacing God's wrath with God's love by rewriting the songs in their hymnals. A couple of years ago, the Presbyterian Church USA pulled the popular contemporary hymn In Christ Alone. We sing that here. We'll sing it today. In Christ Alone, from the latest edition of their hymnal, because the composers refuse to grant permission to alter a phrase in the song that refers to God's wrath. Now, here's the controversial line from the song's second verse. It reads this. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. And some would prefer to replace that with this line. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. Now, the authors rightly refuse to, uh, to grant permission to change and replace God's wrath with God's love. And here's what they said. They wanted the song to communicate the whole gospel. And their view, and in their view, changing the line would compromise the message. And indeed it would. Because the cross did magnify God's love. But in magnifying God's love, it was because it was satisfying God's wrath. That's the love. Without the wrath, the love is syrupy, sentimentally, hallmark, card-greeting, meaninglessness. Now, this isn't about bashing one denomination over another, because in fairness to the Presbyterian Church, the hymn committee actually found it changed in a Baptist hymnal. So, this isn't about any one denomination, this is about trying to replace God's wrath with God's love. The hymn committee ultimately decided on a vote of 9 to 6 to drop the song from the upcoming Glory to God hymnal. How ironic is that? Rather than keep the line about God's wrath. And here's what the committee said. The song has been removed from our contents list with deep regret over losing its otherwise poignant and powerful witness. We felt that the hymn as written would do a disservice to the educational mission of the hymnal by perpetuating the view that the cross is primarily about God's need to satisfy God's wrath. Yeah, it breaks my heart to think someone would think that the cross isn't about that. Beloved, the cross is exactly about that. God satisfying God's wrath because of love for sinners, he poured that wrath on his own son. And if you remove that wrath, then you have no love. Now, many take a third option. They don't deny it. They don't replace it. Many simply choose to ignore God's wrath. They simply choose to ignore it. You see, that might be where many of us are this morning, let's be honest. We don't deny God's wrath, and we don't want to replace it with God's love, 
we believe in it. And we believe in a place of eternal punishment in Hades that's thrown into the lake of fire. But we don't really think about it much in practical terms and certainly not sing its praises. After teaching a, a short series on hell and doing an in-depth study on heaven, uh, one of our grow group members went to his workplace and during the lunchroom took a little straw poll on his own. He asked this question, how many of you believe in heaven? And those in the lunchroom, most of them raised their hands, which, which I thought was cool. And then he asked, how many of you believe in hell? And, and again, most of the hands were raised in the lunchroom. But then he asked this more personal question. How many of you think you know someone who is in hell? And nobody raised their hand. And nobody raised their hand. Why? Because we simply prefer to ignore or avoid God's wrath, even when we believe in it. Now, if you've read, if you, you are reading your Bible, and especially if you're reading through the Psalms, you know we simply can't ignore God's wrath. It's mentioned too many times. So what do you do? What do the Psalms teach us to do? Well, here's what you do with, Psalm, with the, God's wrath according to the Psalms. The Psalms teach us to praise God's wrath. Not just praise it, but sing it. Look again at the heading of Psalm 76. Sometimes we forget to read the headings of the Psalms. Notice what it says. To the chief musician on stringed instruments, a psalm of Asaph. And then it says again, a song. Psalm means song, and so he's saying two times, this is a song song. This is a song song, put the instruments that you play. This is a praise song. Now, who is Asaph? Asaph and his family were chosen by David to be songwriters and music leaders for Israel. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 25, if you read about them, you'll see that the Holy Spirit inspired these songwriters. He directed these song leaders. So literally what we have in Psalm 76 is the very words of God himself. And therefore, we can't deny them. We can't replace them. We certainly should not ignore them. Rather, we are told to sing their praises. But that begs a question, doesn't it? Why? Why in the world would you sing? God? Okay, we see God tells us to. We see these guys did it in the old. But why? Why do we do it? Well, if you uh, look in your bulletin, you have about 200 uh, inserts in there. But if you look towards the back, you've got 36 scriptural reasons why we should sing the praises of God's song. Now, I, I opted for the shorter message. Can I hear an Amen opted for the shorter message, and we're just going to look at Psalm 76. And when you look at, but it was because I read this psalm in my own devotions, and I saw this about God's wrath, and it grabbed me, and it started me thinking, why should we praise God's wrath? And, and by the end, I came up with 36. Maybe you can have more. You share them with me. But in Psalm 76, it's a psalm that's divided three verses four times. And each of the three verses will give us one reason. So let's look at four reasons why we should sing the praises of God's wrath. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, we see this. Because God's wrath makes God known in both salvation and judgment. We should sing the praises of God's wrath because it makes God known in both salvation and judgment. Look again at verse 1. 
In Judah, God is what? Known. His name is great in Israel. And Salem, also his tabernacle. And his dwelling place in Zion. There he broke the arrows of the bow, the shield, and the sword of battle. Selah. Pause. Reflect. What do we see here? The message in the verse is clear. God is made known in the nation of Israel. And not just Israel, but a specific city. Did you see that? It's a city in Judah by the name of Salem. Salem in Hebrew means peace. It's a shortened form of the name that we're more familiar, Jerusalem, the city of peace. And Zion is simply another name for the city of Jerusalem. But how did God make himself known in this city of peace? Now, ironically, the answer is found in verse 3. Ironically, God made himself known in the city of peace by breaking the arrows of the bow, the shield, and the sword of battle. Do you see the irony there? God made himself known in the city of peace by declaring war and pouring out his wrath on the enemies of his people. It's a great concept, peace through strength. Many believe this refers to the time of Israel's history when God poured out his wrath on the armies of the Assyrians as they surrounded Jerusalem in the time of Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah. If you want to read about it, you can read it in 2 Kings 19 and Isaiah 37. What I want you to see right now, though, is the reason God's people are singing the praises of God's wrath is because God makes himself known in both saving his people and judging his enemies. And notice he says, Selah. That is probably a musical term referring to as the instruments play, pause and reflect. Now what should we reflect on? God saves through wrath. You eliminate wrath, you eliminate salvation. God saves through wrath. Wrath. Let me give you a couple biblical illustrations of that. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did God do? What did God do? Well, he judged them. He cursed them. He cursed the serpent. He cursed the woman. He cursed the man. And he cursed all of the earth. He poured out his wrath. And yet, in the midst of that wrath, what did God say? Genesis 3.15, he said, and yet, there's coming a Redeemer. And he, the serpent will strike his heel, but this redeemer will crush the head of the serpent, and there will be salvation. God made himself known to them both in his promise of salvation and in his judgment of their sin. What about the ten plagues and the parting of the Red Sea? This is a great reminder of this truth. Think about what happened. In the midst of the ten plagues, he poured out his wrath on unbelieving Egyptians in those ten plagues. But in the midst of that pouring out of the plagues, he showed mercy and redeemed and delivered his people through those plagues into salvation. And then what happened when Pharaoh changed his mind and started chasing down uh, the fleeing Israelites in his mighty chariots? The Lord parted the Red Sea to save who? to save his people. And yet those same waves that saved his people were then brought down and his wrath was poured out on the chariots. And then you know what? You won't see this in, in Charlton Heston's version. You know what Moses led the people of Israel to do 
after the pouring out of his wrath to save his people? The answer is in Exodus 15, they sang praises to God's wrath. It's called the Song of Moses. And here's the, the chorus. Here's the chorus. Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider has, he has thrown into the sea. That's praising God's wrath. And then, of course, the ultimate example is on the cross. On the cross, when Jesus died for the sins of the world, what did God do? God poured out his wrath on his only begotten son. But in doing so, he paid for your sin debt and for mine. He paid for the sins of the world. How? In pouring out his wrath. 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God saves. He made himself known to us, both in his wrath poured out on Christ, but also in paying his, the sin debt on the cross. Now, here's the first reason. God makes himself known through salvation and judgment. But there's a second reason, and it's found in the next three verses. And here it is. Because God's wrath conquers even the mightiest enemies with just his spoken word. Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Notice what it says. You are more glorious and excellent than the mountains of prey. In other words, the mountains are crawling with enemies, seeking to destroy your people, and you're greater than them. The stout-hearted were plundered. They, they, they have sunk into their sleep, and none of the mighty men have found the use of their hands. Those are all poetical ways of saying they're dead, and they ain't coming back. But how did it happen? Verse 6. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both the chariot and horse, sounds like the Song of Moses, were cast into a dead sleep. They died at your word. Now, as I said, many biblical scholars see that the, the story behind this song is the battle between the king of Assyria when he surrounded Jerusalem in the days of Hezekiah and Isaiah. And it's an amazing story. Hezekiah and the city of Jerusalem are, are totally surrounded by the king of Assyria, which was the superpower of that day. And so the king Hezekiah says to Isaiah the prophet, Seek the Lord and ask if he would defend our city for the sake of his holy name. And Isaiah goes to the Lord and asks if he would deliver the city. And in 2 Kings 19, verse 32, here's the answer that Isaiah received from the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he will return, and he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. God says it. And boom, overnight, 185,000 Assyrian soldiers are dead the next morning. The next day, Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem wake up to see 185,000 dead soldiers, and the king of Assyria went back to his capital, Nineveh, never to leave there again. 
according to the Bible. What happened? Verse 6, at your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both chariot and horse were cast into a dead sleep. What do you think King Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem did after this battle? Now, you would think I'm going to say they sang. Well, it doesn't say that in, 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 in 2 Kings. It doesn't say that in the book of Isaiah. What it does say is Isaiah 76. Here is the song singing the praises of God's wrath. Why? Because just with the spoken word, God can take down the superpowers of this world. Church, we are like the children of Israel. We are a small people. We are a helpless and defendless people who worship under the Son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the days are coming where we will be surrounded and the superpowers, including our own nation, will seek to destroy the people of God. And we will sing the praises of God's wrath because simply with his spoken word, he will take down the greatest nations and the greatest powers that are assembled against him, his people, and his holy name. You say, when will that happen? Revelation 19. Revelation 19 is when Jesus himself will come for the second time, not for salvation like he did the first time, but for wrath on a white horse with a robe dipped in blood and a two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And that's symbolic that with his spoken word, he will pour out wrath on God's enemies and on ours. Revelation 19 11 puts it this way, And I saw the heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him, which no one knows except himself, because he answers to no one. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, that's us, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, most of us are familiar with Romans 1.16, right? The gospel, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And that is true. But we, not, we cannot, we cannot forget and we should praise that that same gospel is the power of God, not just to salvation, but to judgment. And one day, those who reject that message of salvation will suffer the consequences of God's wrath with that same spoken word. On that day, one day, all who oppose God and his people will be conquered and judged. Our daily prayer, which we just sang, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, will be answered on that day. And we will sing, we will sing, we will sing the praises of God's wrath and the victory of the Lamb who was slain. 
the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, why should we sing the praises of God's wrath? There's a third reason. It's found in verses 7 through 9, and it's this. Because God's wrath will cause all the earth to fear him. God's wrath will cause all the earth to fear him. Look at verses 7 through 9. You yourself are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You cause judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to judgment to deliver all the oppressed of the earth. Selah. Pause. Reflect. Now, what's the greatest foolishness of those who rebel God? It's really simple. They do not fear God. They don't fear God. What is the greatest wisdom of those who submit to God? It is this, that they fear God. As we've been doing our reading, we read Psalm 36, and I couldn't help but be struck by Psalm 36, verses 1 through 3. Listen, an evil man is rebellious to the core. He does not fear God. For he is too proud to recognize and give up his sin. The word he speaks are sinful and deceitful. He does not care about doing what is wise and right. Wow. Why do we sing the praises of God's wrath? Because God's wrath poured out from heaven will finally silence the lips of those who scoff at God's greatness. Because God's wrath poured out from heaven will finally cause the eyes of the blind to see God in all his glory. And they will cry out for the rocks to fall and, and hide them from the shining glory of God. We praise God's wrath because when it's poured out from heaven, it will finally cause the knees of those who are too proud to bow to finally bend the knee and confess that that name, the name of Jesus, is the name above all names. Jesus is Lord. And that should cause us to praise. So here's the fourth reason. It's in the last three verses. It's really in verses 10 and 12. Let's look at it. And it's this, because God's wrath will cause man's wrath to praise him. Now think on that one. That kinda, this is the verse that got me exploring this. Because I read that and I'm like, wow. What a sovereign God. God's wrath will cause man's wrath to praise God. Now think of that. Look at verse 10. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. With the remainder of wrath you shall gird yourself. Now, this started me on the exploration of the praise of God's wrath. Came up with eight reasons and it, came, it became 36. I, I just want to hit a two. First thing I want you to see Look at the sovereignty of God's wrath in that verse. God's wrath is greater than the wrath of man. He simply wears it like a garment. You know, I put a shirt on and I take it off. Throw it in the trash. Throw it in the dirty clothes. All of this waving the fist against God, God says, I can wear that like a garment. I can wear that like a shirt, and I can take it off like a pair of pants. Think about the scale of God's wrath. All the nations. Think of the power of World War II. Think of the potential of a nuclear war in a World War III. And all that rage and all that anger, God can wear it like an old shirt. Think of the significance of God's wrath in this verse. God will use the wrath of man to reflect his glory and the greatness of his own wrath. 
That's just amazing to me. I don't know how that works. I don't really understand fully what that means. I just know it means God is awesome. And we're not. And to oppose him is the height of foolishness. I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you're mocking God. I don't know if you're scoffing this book. I don't know if you're creating a God in your own image and replacing his wrath with a figment of his love. I don't know where you are this morning. But God is so much greater than what you can imagine. And all your resistance is like Star Trek. It will be futile. Because he will wear your wickedness and he will wear our wrath like a garment. Wouldn't it be much better to embrace his mercy this morning? Wouldn't it be much better to take that word of salvation and let Jesus' blood and the righteousness of Christ clothe you? Because really, think about the Son of God's wrath, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Lamb who was slain, clothed himself with the wrath of God on the cross for you and for me. He took on the wrath of man. The wrath of man put him there. And God mocked at that and said, I will take your wrath and I will cause it to be my glory where my people will sing the praises of the cross and the praises of your wrath that you poured out on my son because I made that wrath to praise me. Is that just not awesome? It's awesome. God, in God's sovereign grace, he made the man's wrath on the cross to praise him for your salvation and for mine. Now, when should we sing God's wrath? This is one of those things where I had to include it, but we can't, we don't have time for it. I just want you to see it. When do we do it? We do it in the past. We do it in the past, Psalm 76, Exodus 15, the Song of Moses. We do it in the present, like we're going to in a moment. But beloved, we're going to do it in the future. And if you'll look in the book of Revelation, you'll find that in Revelation 11 and Revelation 15, this is really cool, in Revelation 15, we will sing the Song of Moses, is now called the Song of the Lamb, when God executes His judgment. We're going to sing praises. They've done it in the past. We're going to do it in the future. Don't you think we should do it more now in the present? Sing the praises of God's wrath in order to be true to who God is and what we will one day actually do when His kingdom comes and His will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, there's one verse that we haven't looked at, and it's verse 11. And this is our response. How do we respond to this? Verse 11, make vows to the Lord your God and pay them. Let all who are around him bring presents to him who ought to be feared. I see five ways to praise God's wrath, and this is the application of today's message. Number one, praise God's wrath with surrender. I beg you to put your trust in Jesus today. You may be his enemy today, and you may have entered in with his wrath abiding on you, but you can leave here his friend this morning, except that Christ took your wrath, 
your sin upon the cross, and now as a free gift, he offers you his righteousness. Simply right now, this moment, just right now, Jesus, I give you my sins, and I trust you, and I take your righteousness, and you paid the wrath. You, you satisfied God's wrath for me. The message is clear. The only people who will voluntarily praise God's wrath are those who are saved from God's wrath by God's Son. The wrath of God is coming, beloved. That's bad news. The good news is now's the time to accept Jesus. Surrender to the one who took your wrath for you. Run to Jesus. Second way, praise God's wrath with sincerity. Keep your promises to the Lord your God. It says make your vows. Why? Because God's wrath reminds us that God takes sin seriously and he takes it seriously among his people. How hypocritical would it be to praise that God will pour his wrath out on sinners while we remain sinning as his people? I don't know what hidden sin, I don't know what struggles you may have, but if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can praise that the wrath for that sin has been paid, but you also have the grace to forsake it. We should make our vows, and we should keep our commitments to God. Thirdly, praise God's wrath with sacrifice. Give your best to honor the God who should be feared. Look at verse 11. It says, let all those around him bring gifts to him who is to be feared. Now, who is he talking about? He's talking about all the people, all the nations of the world. Why? Because God's worthy of our best. Amen? God's worthy of everything you've got and he, because he owns it all. And one day when Jesus comes back to execute wrath, he will establish his thousand-year kingdom. It's called the Millennial Kingdom. And in that kingdom, the nations of the world will bring their glory, their honor, their gifts, and pay tribute to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. So if we know that King today, we're going to take an offering. We take an offering every why? Because we want to pay tribute to Jesus. And then praise God's wrath with sharing. Tell everyone near and far the good news of salvation in Jesus right now and the bad news of wrath to come in the future. What should we be doing right now about in relation to God's wrath? Praising it, but warning those upon whom it's going to fall. Let me ask you this morning, who do you know right now that you know is abiding under God's wrath and you haven't reached out to them? You haven't shared with them. You've let the busyness of this world push away the most important message that wrath is coming, but salvation is available. That's why we're raising $17,000 for the Makande people, because every tribe, nation deserves to know that wrath is coming, but salvation is available. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, look at these four ways. And as I pray, I want you to see, where do, what's next step do I need to take? Do I need to accept Christ today? Do I need to make that public? Do I need to to commit to serving him? Do I need to repent and forsake of a pet sin? Let's respond today. And then we're going to, after that, we're going to sing the praises of God's wrath. Let's pray. Father, we come, and Lord, we're humbled at the, at the truth of your word. I know it's not politically correct. I know it's something that we like to avoid. But Lord, 
it's there. And I pray if there's anyone here that right now they can just give you their sin in their heart, acknowledge that they're a sinner, and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. For those of us that know Him, may we pay you tribute. May we right now give you all that we are, all our past, all our present, all our future. And Father, may we commit right now to pray for that one person, two people, three people, people all around us that need to hear you. They need to know the whole gospel, that you magnify your love by satisfying your wrath in Christ. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. I want to end this sermon doing the very thing that, that it's entitled to do. Let's sing in Christ alone as it was originally written. And we come to that line that says, Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. I want you to belt that out with gratitude and praise. Amen? Amen. All right, let's sing.